I'm just as excited about real estate as I was when I first started. There's opportunity in many different places. Here's the deal. The gap between what's needed and what's being provided. That's where the opportunity is in all markets, in all industries. And people will say, well, you know, the, the market and, you know, interest rates are low and money's cheap or where can you go and find deals of value at? And I'm looking at the market saying, I have very, very sharp, young, ambitious professionals. They're going to live somewhere and the place that they're living could be much better. There's millions of them. If I provide that, you know, I'll be fine. So all of the other future catastrophe, oh, the market's gonna crash and this, you're not, give, you're not even providing what the millennials need yet, so just relax. Welcome to the Prosperity Through Multifamily Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Blue Oak Capital. If you are looking to take your real estate investing to the next level and learn how you can achieve your financial success by investing in multifamily real estate, then this show is for you. Our mission is to help you improve your education and learn proven strategies from industry leaders to help you master multifamily investing. Now here's your hosts, Cody Laughlin, John Beatty, and Brian Alfaro. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Prosperity Through Multifamily Real Estate Investing Podcast. As always, I am your host, Real Estate Cody, and with me in the hot seat yet again, Mr. Brian Alfaro, the coffee connoisseur himself. What's up, bud? What's up, Cody? Just here, getting ready for the holidays. Looking forward to another exciting guest, but uh, looks like 2021 is almost behind us. Dude, I know. And what a crazy year, right? It's been so much fun. A lot of growth this year, a lot of exciting opportunities. So I'm looking forward to kind of where we're going to end the year, both where we're going to be positioned for the start of 22. It's going to be awesome. Absolutely. Awesome, man. Well, hey, who are we speaking with this morning? All right. Today we have Mr. Yusuf Alexander. Yusuf has more than 20 years of working class real estate industry experience. He serves as the VP and Chief Business Development Officer at Real Estate Asset Partners, where he supports the company's asset expansion. And Yusuf can give insights on all business aspects related to the real estate industry, including sourcing deals and third-party property management. Yusuf's extensive working-class real estate experience spans various facets of the real estate industry, including acquisitions, property management, leasing operations, sales, and marketing. Yusuf is an active industry thought leader, frequent panelist, speaker, and guest lecturer within the academic sector. Additionally, Mr. Alexander is a founding member and currently serves on the board of directors for the Literacy Up Project, a nonprofit dedicated to advancing childhood literacy in underserved community. Yusuf resides in Los Angeles and embodies a panoramic perspective across several market-based multifamily portfolios. Yusuf, welcome to the show. So excited to have you. Thanks, Brian. That was a really nice and kind of mouthful, but I appreciate it. And uh, yeah. Well, hey, man, we appreciate you being here. We're looking forward to learning more about you and your experience. And so let's kind of kick it off from there, man. Tell us a bit more about your background and I guess how you got started in the real estate game. It's funny, Cody, it comes out different every time. I've been on a few panels and podcasts lately. And sometimes I'm like, wow, okay, well, you, you said that on the first uh, interview this week. And, and now you, you said, you know, you, you added to it. So, so the, the, the short journey is born and raised in Los Angeles and was a childhood product of the 80s and all of the nostalgic, good, bad, and in between of being in South Central Los Angeles in the, in the 1980s. From there, I enjoyed the public school system and performed my way into UCLA. Went to UCLA, graduated in economics, and I started a, a math and science uh, career as a teacher. But in that time, I met a, uh, a gentleman that knew how to buy and sell properties, reposition properties. Now, I say all that to say is it was kind of a perfect storm at the time 
for this to happen with a squirrely individual, you know, inspired individual, ambitious individual myself. That's one. The other thing was the markets. The markets, when I graduated and I started my uh, my foray into <laughs> my adulthood as a professional in my early 20s, there was an earthquake that happened in the 90s in Los Angeles. So my ambition, I met a gentleman, the earthquake, and then, you know, the interest rates put the community in a very, very blighted situation. So since that happened, it was an abundant place for opportunity. And what I did was I cut my teeth in buying and selling real estate in those blighted areas. From there, I started a business, a small boutique real estate company, and I continued to do that, bought other businesses, kind of was a serial entrepreneur at the time, started to travel, and then figured out that I wanted to scale. And then that's when the multifamily iteration came into the uh, the journey. Bought some units in nearby state, Arizona. Then I went a little bit more east to Chicago, Illinois. And then from there, I went to North Carolina and started to buy garden style apartments, multifamily. And then 2007, 2008 hit. And there was another great recession and the opportunity became abound in the multifamily space. And I had you know, some experience there. So I started to expand my operation to the Southeast, Georgia mainly. Did a bunch of things, projects in Georgia and uh, thousands of units later and many, many transactions later, syndicated a group of investors and um, you know, put those business plans together. And now I sit in Los Angeles, and I have certain projects legacy from my other company, but also have some things that I've done just with myself. And that's kind of the long and short of it. So there you go. Very, very impressive, man. Looking forward to kind of dissecting that a little bit. But before we go, I got to know, because I've never experienced an earthquake before. What in the world does that even like feel like? How how do you even deal with it? Like at least a hurricane, I could see it coming. An earthquake, like I don't even know what that would feel like. It's terrible. Noisy, traumatic, scary. I think I was maybe 19, 20 years old. I got to do my math in my head. But anyway, basically, I just graduated and I was in one of my apartment with uh, with actually my brother, who actually later became my partner in real estate as well. We still do things together and have done things. The earth shakes. The earth, it, it's like a, a wrecking ball that hits the side of a home and the noise just kind of like freaks you out. But it lasts only about maybe 10 seconds or so, but it feels like it's about an hour because it's so jarring. So after that earthquake happened, the first thing these two young college guys did, we got backpacks and mountain bikes and just started to ride around the city. And we saw people, you know, families afraid to go back inside. They would be sleeping on their lawns. We saw chimneys, you know, kind of off tilt and broken. And what happened was here in Los Angeles, there's a vein called the 10 freeway. We actually used to, it's the route 66 that goes all in, you know, across the United States. But anyway, it's the 10 freeway it starts in Santa Monica pier and it goes uh, East that freeway collapsed. So the vein of the city was no longer operational and it was an ordeal, but as a young kid, you know, it's, it's almost like a video game. It was like, well, okay, all this stuff is happening. I couldn't process it. But as I look back, it was crazy time. You're still there. Oh, I'm still here. I'm going, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. It's not like just a walk in the park, right? It's just another day. No, no. An earthquake is never a walk in the park, but they're, they're, they're so infrequent that you don't have to worry about them. That's so crazy. It's like checking a kitchen. It's like, it's like catching the chicken pox. You get it yeah. and it's over and then whatever happens and you don't want to ever have that again. Yeah. It's so interesting. When you talk to people from all over the country, right? We, we all have our different environmental factors that we're exposed to every year. And you live in it so long, you're just like, eh, it's just walking apart. But 
I would never want to deal with an earthquake. People look at us, they're like, oh, hurricane. Oh my God. Like just becomes part of the part of the territory, I guess. Part but. of the territory. But I will say this compared to because I've been in hurricane country and I've been in earthquake country. A bad earthquake, I've only experienced it once in 25 years. So a hurricane is seasonal. <laughs> it is. Unfortunately, it is. <laughs> we know it all too well. But well, very cool, man. Well, let's talk a little bit about your journey here. And I, again, I want to kind of go dissect your path of progress, you know, so you mentioned you're in Los Angeles, you started investing in Arizona, and then you kind of went to Chicago and whatnot. Talk to us a little bit about the reason behind kind of expanding into markets outside of your backyard was, you know, what did you see in that first market in Arizona? And then what pinged you to kind of keep going across different markets across the United States? Well, the first thing that helped me move to a different market was barrier of entry. You know, the barrier of entry in Arizona was a lot less competitive, a lot less hurdles to jump through to enter that market. I actually went to a market called Bullhead City, Arizona, which is the hottest city in the United States. It's pretty much has the record averages. I think it was like 128 degrees one day when I was out there. Oh, wow. So, and just to give you a geographical reference, it's the Colorado River goes north and south, and it goes through Bullhead City, Arizona on one side and Laughlin, Nevada on the other side. So Laughlin, Nevada is a little kind of gambling town that is over the years has kind of grown in its unique way. So anyway, barrier of entry. I bought two buildings there. It was my first kind of foray in, in multifamily and, and did well. A lot of things that I learned over the dozens and dozens and hundreds of transactions I did in the single family space. Some of the things weren't transferable skill sets. A lot of the things were, and it was good to, to get that knowledge in that small multifamily. So that was the reason that we went to Arizona and I could drive there. I was 23 years old. I was, you know, got in my car, got on the freeway and drove. No, it makes total sense. And I think it's something that actually is very relevant to today, right? Where I think like across most decent real estate markets right now, there's a very high barrier to entry. And the question for many new entrepreneurs, especially those who are just getting started is, well, what do we do? You know, do you continue to try to penetrate that barrier to entry or do you try to look and expand your means and go outside of markets to find that less competitive of a barrier to entry? And uh, it's a conundrum right now, you know, because it's really hard to find those markets that really don't have any barrier to entry. You know, I asked questions by just uh, several different types of entrepreneurs. And a lot of them, they ask me just as a business owner and as a, you know, a real estate investor. And what I say is this, develop your skill set and make money. So once you develop your skill set and make money, you can decide how to expand and collect different assets in your entrepreneurial portfolio and your personal portfolio. So right now, the world is so, for lack of a better term, so flat. We have access to everything information. You know, you're sitting in Houston. I'm sitting in Los Angeles. It's just, we have access to things. So there's things to develop in a person's or in a small company's skill set to generate revenue. And then that revenue that you generate, you can invest that in different markets or different you know, asset classes. You don't have to start in a real estate asset class. That's a good point, Yusuf. And I think it's a point well taken, especially because the topic of developing your skill set is something that's transferable across any responsibility in this space. Brian, what do you think? Absolutely. I mean, the skill sets are definitely transferable. I think that's a common thing we hear out of people that are trying to get into multifamily from single family or retail from commercial multifamily or whatever. It's just, it's a real estate transaction. And part of the skill sets that we've learned is it's all about who you know, 
and it's a relationship-based business. So if you're good at building relationships and educating yourself and learning the business, you can take those skill sets and apply them to another asset class as well and still be successful, whether it's single family, triple net, retail, industrial, it doesn't really matter. But definitely great advice you should develop your skill set and focusing on something when you're getting started too, uh, especially if you're brand new. Let's say you've never touched real estate before. You don't want to be, uh, Cody and I call it like shiny object syndrome, where uh, you know one day you're looking at mobile home parks, one day you're looking at hotels, the next day you're looking at triple net. You definitely want to hone in on that skill set in that particular asset class. And as you grow your portfolio, then you can start to expand your horizons a little bit. Yeah. For young... I'm kind of the the old guy in the room, but for the young entrepreneur, you get analysis paralysis when you when you have all this stuff going on. Like we talked about, there's a lot of opportunity out there. And, the, and one of the things to make sure an entrepreneur does is to focus, 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 focus. But another thing I will say is my skill set and my track record and my experience can be leveraged as well. There was a, a gentleman that found a deal for me, you know, that was like a small deal, maybe $3 million deal. And he wanted to invest a few hundred thousand dollars in it as a small passive investor. I allowed him to do that. He knew the deal. He knew it very well, but he wanted to leverage my experience and I allowed him to do so. He was a quality guy. He was an entrepreneur. He, you know, had money. He, he did the right thing and he made money with me. I mean, I'm going to make money for myself. So a parallel investor would be smart to do something like that. You know, I'm, I'm really glad we're talking about this right now, Yusuf, because this is a message that we preach all the time to people in our network, because it's how we got our start, right? Is you figure out what your value proposition is and you go add that to the experienced people in your, in your space that you can leverage their time and experience to find a way to partner together. And I think right now with as competitive as this landscape is, it's getting harder for the newer investor in the multifamily space to get through those barriers of entry. So one of the ways I think you can help break those barriers down is like you said, aligning with experienced people like yourself that can help you get over that hump. But from your perspective, being that experienced operator with the track record that you have, I can imagine you probably get solicited often with people that say, hey, I would love to do a deal with you yeah. or I would love to do this, right? So talk to me about what it is that you, when people are approaching you to become a potential partner, having no experience, what is that value add proposition that you're looking for that would allow you to take that into consideration? You know, I'm at a space in my life where I love a healthy amount of stress, but I like to choose my stress. I like to choose my challenges. And I like to choose my projects. So in that mindset, if a talented individual came into my space, came into my world, I would have to evaluate it from those terms. They may be locally. OK, well, that that may work. Or they may be in a submarket that I'm interested in, Austin, Texas, Houston, Texas, Dallas, Texas, or any of those submarkets. So it depends on you know where the talent, the individual, the investor is positioned, and what terms that I'm looking to deal with. Sometimes I don't want to deal with it. You know, I, I like to do things myself. I'm at the point now. I mean, when COVID hit, at partnerships and great things rocking and rolling, and you know the scale is a larger scale, and I like to have very, very high returns and everybody high five and the investors are making money. But sometimes I'm like a, a lab guy. I like to be in control of all of the little levers and all the variables happening in my experiment called my business plan that I'm executing. And it's just, it's kind of a, I get a rush from it. So sometimes I do things exclusively or some projects I'll invite in another talent, individual investor, partner, so to speak. There's always things that you could add on to your business. There's always add-ons, but I'm not looking or desperate or just in a, a space where I need that to happen to, for things to operate. 
That's such a great nugget. And that's, I'm really glad you mentioned that because this is where I think people need to really listen to that message because waving around a deal and say, Hey, I've got this great deal, Mr. Experienced Operator, will you come partner with me? That is, that's not a value add uh, component. That's not going to draw in people like yourself to want to work with them. Right. And so, you know, and, and we, we encourage people all the time to really think about it. you guys are experienced operators with an extensive track record. You've been in the business for a long time. You're exactly right. You don't need other people. And so finding the right people that you want to work with is going to be even more particular because you're not just going to bring anybody into your network or your partnership. And so I think it's just important for when people are out there networking, Brian, we talk about this all the time, right? Being intentful and sharing it. What is your value proposition? and finding a way to leverage that value proposition to get in with these circles. What do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and not every deal is for every investor. You know, it may not make sense for Yusuf, but it might make sense for the next guy, right? Because everybody has an investing thesis. So understanding what your value is, making it very clear. People like Yusuf, you know, you guys don't have time for hour, two hour lunches and calls and all their stuff. Like be very transparent with what you're offering, what you need, and be very clear about what you're asking for. So that you're not wasting other people's time because like uh, like we've been talking about, you know, your time is very valuable. You have everything you need. So if somebody truly does have something of value that you truly are interested in, get that message across very clear so that we're not uh, wasting anybody's time in, in the room. Agree. Agree. Well, Yusuf, going back to your journey, man, like you said, you, you settled in Arizona to start. You're finding those markets with less barrier of entry. Why not the concentration in just Arizona? Why the decision to then expand further into a market that's even further away like Chicago? Like, what was that path of evolution for you? Well, I had um, experience in Chicago. My mother's side of my family is from Chicago. I visited there a few times. I saw the growth of Chicago as the premier market in the Midwest with the density and the and the different layers of the driving factors of the economy, education, medical, banking. There's just a lot of things going on in the you know late 90s when I had some properties there. So and then I'm, I'm gonna just share this, you know, we're talking here. I saw I, I went to uh Chicago one time and I saw the winner of the apprentice. I'm like, you know, I'm, this is where I need to be. This is the neighborhood I'm going to be in. He's over here and <laughs> this is where it's happening. This is where I'm going to be. So that was one of the things that uh, helped me establish myself in Chicago. Fair enough. Fair enough. So you had a familiarity with the market and you had something that drew you there. That's great. You know, it's uh, market selection is important. Obviously, right now we talked about that, right? It's you want to be in the right markets, sound markets and whatnot. But, you know, in speaking to your investing thesis going from market to market, when it comes to sourcing the type of deals you were looking for, was that a constant variable for you across each market? Or did the strategy change as you went into you know, Arizona, to Chicago, then the Carolinas? Talk to us a little bit more about your investing criteria along the way. Well, my investment criteria would always, and we can get really technical about my investment criteria, but I'll tell you, my wizardry comes in sourcing deals. I don't come from a trust fund account or, or a book of country club capital investors that are ready to write checks, which is a great part of the equation to bring to an investment group capital. Deal sourcing is one of them as well. And I've been able to hone my skills and understand what that entails you know, over 25 plus years. So when I go into a market, I, I know how to source deals. Attention accredited investors. Are you looking for your next elite investment opportunity before the end of the year? Well, we are really excited to pause the show and tell you about our latest investment offering in a rapidly growing market right outside of Dallas, Fort Worth. 
We've been dying to get this announcement out here on the show, as I know that many of you have been looking for your next great risk-adjusted investment opportunity to wrap up this year. So let me give you the three reasons why this deal is so incredible and why we think you will find it equally as compelling. Number one, this is a 396 unit A-class community that offers an impressive amenity package to the residents. Number two, we're offering a 7% preferred return with a projected return profile of 26% IR and a 2X equity multiple over, get this, three year hold. And last but certainly not least, we're gonna be able to capture at least 100 plus percent of year one bonus depreciation for 2021. That's right, 2021. We launched this deal about two weeks ago and we have had a tremendous amount of interest already. We've offered only 50 spots to accredited investors and we're down to our last few spots remaining before closing out our fundraise. There are several hundred qualified accredited investors that have access to this offering. And this is a first come first serve, just like our prior deals. So if you'd like to learn more about this offering and reserve your spot today, make sure to stop the show right now. Visit www.blueoakinvest.com forward slash Loan Oak, that's L-O-N-E-O-A-K, to secure your spot before the deal fully subscribes. Now back to the show. So talk to us a little bit about how are you going about sourcing them? What's the most effective resource for you to do that. And, and, you know, you don't have to share your secrets if you got any, but. Well, I know exactly how to kind of sift through the wheat to get to the shaft, you know, to figure out who I'm going to speak with, where I'm going to, you know, plant my flag and where I'm going to drill down deep. I mean, it can start, of course, you know, with retail listings and then, you know, brokerages and offices and owners of companies and things like that. I remember when, when I was in uh, North Carolina, there was a gentleman, he said, man, I've been living here for, you know, 25 years. And, you know, how did you find this deal? I said, because that's what I'm looking for. I don't know what you, you've been here for 25 years. You may have been looking for a girlfriend. I don't know. I'm looking for deals. You're looking for something else. So I'm going to find what I'm looking for. And you're going to find what you're looking for. I love that. I think it's a great message. You always tell people you get what you ask for, right? So if you open enough doors and you, I like to use the term gatekeepers, every city has gatekeepers, right? The movers and the shakers, the guys that have the deals, the brokers, the investors, the sellers, you just got to find those people that are, that are making it happen that own these assets. And then, then you start the relationship building process. And as you mentioned, you know, you know how to speak to these people where they take you seriously, right? You know what you're talking about and uh, you're somebody who comes off professional who they want to do business with. Well, I, I tell you, and I can see there's a there's a little bit of an explanation for the audience. The audience, you know, li, li, we like explanations. But I, what happens is this: from the younger generation, the millennials and the the Gen Xs and the Gen Zs, or I forget which names of them, but they're young, the young professionals. They like a three step process to everything. You do this, you join this, you do this, and then you get that, or you what the you know, bam, 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 bam. Okay, that sounds good, but. Unfortunately, that's not how everything plays out in life. What happens with a person like myself is I'm going to settle into a space where there's a lot of conversations, yes, but there's just an energetic, intentional behavior that I'm going to continue to access to do deals. I'm going to leave my home. Okay, so when I leave my home every day that I'm away from my home, I want to get back to my home, but I haven't achieved the thing that I'm looking for to go back home. So I'm, my time is very, 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 very focused. You know, it's not you get to this and you go do this and then you produce this. No, I'm. it's just a it's more of like a I wouldn't say a hunting situation, but it's a very focused situation. I mean, I've, I've done this many, many times I'll go in markets and I, the focus is like, you know what? This doesn't work for me. 
I, I see that, you know, this is a, a sub market that I'm not really interested in. And I'm not saying that I'm the expert in the sense that there was an opportunity there. It just wasn't working for me. So that is a little bit different. And I know the audience may or may not understand this, but I understand this in my bones. My focus, my intent, my behavior is very, very, very beelined when it comes to sourcing deals in different markets. I'm, I'm glad you're bringing that up again. I wanted to go back and highlight that intentional behavior and focus because it goes back to what we're speaking with earlier, right? Is just being intentful in maximizing your time and your effort spent. And so often it, it kind of, it, it's unfortunate, it kind of drives me a little crazy now when you talk to guys and they're like, okay, what's your deal criteria? Oh, I'm looking for 30 to 300 units. And oh, I'm looking for everything from value add to A class. It's like, there's no strategy. You know, there's no defined criteria. There's no focus or criteria. And so I think it's important for people to get that granular and that, that laser focused in what it is that you're out there trying to achieve. You said it perfectly, man. And I, I hope people really let that message resonate now. What do you think, Brian? Absolutely. Focus is key in anything you're doing in this business. And uh, if you don't focus, people like Yusuf will come behind you who are focused and take the deal right, from, right out from under you. So there's always somebody out there who's going to uh, you know, be more focused than you. So you definitely want to make sure you wake up every day and you give it 110. Yeah, definitely agree. Definitely agree. So Yusuf, all right. So tell us then, so your skill set, your process is about deal sourcing. You have this laser focused ability to go out there and find exactly what it is that you're looking for. It's not like you waste much time around that. So that's great. What is your investment strategy as far as the type of opportunities you're looking for? And really particularly, I'd like to know kind of where you're at right now in today's market cycle. You know, what type of opportunities are you chasing and why? Well, there's a couple of questions in that question. <laughs> so today, I'm just as excited about real estate as I was when I first started, even though if you asked me to forecast my career or what things were, how they were going to go, I probably would have quit because there's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of lumps. There's a lot of lessons that, that have to happen for a person, for a company, for a, a, a vision to be able to, to do well. Because markets, the economy changes, the world has changed since the last 24 months. So today I'm looking in, you know, different markets like we spoke about before we started. I'm, I'm definitely I like Texas. And the reason I like Texas is because it's close to Southern California. <laughs> That's just one of the reasons. I mean, there, but there's opportunity everywhere. There's opportunity in many different places. You know, Mississippi, Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina. There's all kind of places. just in Boston. I, I know a guy just doing some good stuff in Boston. But anyway. So where am I looking today? I'm looking in the you know, Southwest. Well, my, my taste and my appetite for a healthy stress will dictate whether I do a heavy value add or whether I do a stabilized because my portfolio now could accommodate either or, and it just depends. But yeah, I'll do a heavy value. I've, I've turned down some heavy value ads because I'm saying, yeah, you know what? That's a little bit above my threshold. I just did a mud run. I did a mud run. The stress is was right there at the threshold. I said, you know what? I'm If I have to go any further, I'm, I might have to tap out. So that's the same thing with my deal appetite. If, if it's have to go any further, I'm going to have to tap out of that one. I'm going to pass on that one and give it to the young guys. Brian, that's another quote to, to kind of borrow. Appetite for healthy stress. I like that. <laughs> Absolutely. I like that a lot. I think knowing where you're at in life, especially just what's the family like, what type of stresses are you going through? Absolutely. That stuff is so important. People under underestimate or undervalue the importance of quality of life and the deals that you buy need to reflect what type of quality of life you're looking for. Isn't that right, Yusuf? Yes, absolutely. The last deal I, I closed was a small deal 
the guy was an older guy. He just wanted to sell it to an experienced person so they wouldn't tank the the, the small, you know, it was like a three, four million dollar, it was a three and a half million dollar deal. The guy wanted to do the financing, most of the financing for me. I said, I don't need you to do the finance. He said, I just want to do it to make the deal go quicker. So I can, I can be out of it. You can be into it and you can, we can transfer this asset to a very experienced group. I said, that's fine. I'll do it. I mean, there's less stress. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a great point. And, and Brian, you're absolutely right, man. This is probably something that we don't talk about enough, right? Is where you're at in your life journey and how that impacts your business. You know, we always talk about real estate strategies changing maybe with market cycles and whatever else, but we don't, we don't really talk about like your life impact and, and whatnot. So that, that's a really cool topic, man. I like this. So we'll use of, you know, Kind of making a little bit of a pivot here. You know, you've been in the business, you said 20 plus years, um, you've kind of gone through various markets. I'd imagine you've gone through several different cycles now. Is there anything particularly about today's market cycle that is surprising you or concerning you at all? Well, let's see. The surprising thing is that there's still a lot of suboptimal operations in real estate. There's things that the operational part of the real estate process is not up to date with technology, society, living standards, and there's a lot of space for growth and a lot of opportunity. And a lot of residential laws in different communities, especially in Southern California, they're not up to date with the way young professionals live. So it's ripe for some disruption. Who knows if it'll happen? This is a very conservative, slow moving industry, but it's surprising. You know, it's surprising that you could go into a 700 square foot uh, apartment or living space and it looks like 1949. You know, the, the, the electrical sockets are placed in weird situations and everybody has divide, you know, everybody's podcasting and working from home and just the layout of it, the way that the, the rooms are, are, are situated. And then you'll have a, a real estate investor or group come in and pretty much make it the same way it was in 1950 or maybe make it 1970. <laughs> you know what I mean? They'll make it cute versus the layers of enhancements that that unit could absorb. Layout, technology, smart devices, natural light. One of my investment themes is I like to connect the families inside to the economy. So when I when I develop that thinking for a business plan, I'm going to connect this occupant to the economy. How am I going to do that? And then I have a you know a checklist of how I go about that. Yeah, that's another great point as well. And I, and I completely agree with you. It's, it's kind of interesting that the real estate sector is such a slow evolving sector, right? And it's interesting because we'll talk to other operators and owners and across multiple different markets and. You talk to them about, hey, what's the value add that you're putting in your properties? What amenities are you adding to your properties? And you still get a lot of data responses. You know, oh, well, you don't want to spend dollars here because you don't know if you get that ROI or, you know, oh, this, we don't want to spend more dollars than we have to. But then you talk to the residents that are living in the communities and there's a demand for more efficiency. There's a demand for better technology in the apartment home, right? Because, you know, I mean, look at COVID, right? We were all living at home. We all needed to be in our, our spaces and we needed to work within our spaces and you wanted to be efficient. So it's kind of interesting that the industry is still slow to evolve in its innovation. But I know that Brian and I, you were like on the cusp of the millennial cutoff. At least I am. Shut up, man. You're laughing at me. But um, <laughs> the point is, is like, I mean, even myself, I have a desire and need for those efficiencies because we're a society of convenience now. We want things at our fingertips and we don't want to wait. And um, to your point, Yusuf, I think being able to provide those innovative solutions and in ways that you can 
incorporate that into your residence or your apartment community, excuse me, is going to be a game changer for you versus the next guy. Here's the deal. That's where the opportunity is in all markets, in all industries, the gap between what's needed and what's being provided. And that's why people say, well, you know, the, the market and, you know, interest rates are you know low and money's cheap or, or, you know, where can you go and find deals of value at? I'm, and I'm looking at the market saying, I have very, very sharp, young, ambitious professionals. They're going to live somewhere. And the place that they're living could be much better. There's millions of them. If I provide that, my customers will, you know, I'll be fine. So, so all of the other future catastrophe, oh, the market's going to crash and this, you're not, give, you're not even providing what the, the millennials need yet. So just relax. You know, they need a landing pad for the, for the drone to drop their Grubhub. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> they need, a, they need a, a, a smart plug or whatever to just say, you know, for the e-bikes to be able to be accessible for them so they can go and, you know, hook up with their, their buddies and, and go have a volleyball or squash ball or whatever they want to do. Like that's not there yet. So why are we panicking? Brian, I'm calling it on the show right now. Yusuf, we're going to be the innovators of having a landing pad for a drone to drop <laughs> off food delivery right now. That's the immunity of the future. I love I'm it. Telling you, that little space, I'd pay a dollar fifty for how, I can just go grab my bag and my little Amazon Prime stuff. I'm done. I don't have to walk. Please. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's the greatest thing I've heard all day. <laughs> but the point is that you're so right. And, and here's what else is important. You hear this so often where, oh, no, that's just for the A-class demographic. That's just for the A-class communities, right? You're seeing this demand for technology and convenience in the workforce housing space. It's trickling down into the residents that live in the, the B-class communities, the C-class communities. You know, again, because... Being a society of convenience, it's not isolated just to one demographic. And it doesn't cost. This is what people don't understand. This is why there's so much opportunity in real estate. The cost to amenitize residences is not, you're not building gold-plated toilets and stuff. This is not what it is. <laughs> An amenity is not a gold toilet. An amenity is something that, like you said, creates convenience, creates from the time that you order to the, to the time that you're satisfied you know, that time shrank like that's convenient. So it could be placing doggy. Everybody has dog you're placing doggy bags at the landscaped spot at the campus. So you can just boom and then they better be compostable and whatever the millennials want. And you know what I mean? The right color and they whatever. You know what I mean? That doesn't cost anything. It just it's pennies. Yeah. Full plated toilet. And that's where this can. There's where the huge gap is in this community, because this community is thinking, I'm not going to put a gold-plated toilet in there with the A-class and, you know, no one cares about that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And, and, you know, to your point about the millennials, I mean, I think, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, the millennials are now the biggest or makes up the majority of the population of the United States, right? The baby boomers are kind of starting to... Die. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> <You> know. <laughs> yeah, you have the millennials that are coming in and now filling in that spot. And, and like you said, you know, there's just a, the change in our expectations and what we want to help make our lives better every day is different. So yeah, with home prices rapidly rising as well, I mean, it's getting unaffordable, even in places like, I mean, Houston's a great example. You know, five years ago, you could have bought a, 
amazing house for under $300,000. Now a starter home is $320,000, right? And wages aren't growing rapidly enough with the prices of real estate. So people are going to be renting. And when they're renting, we're talking about a specific group of people, specific age class. We're a society of convenience. We're a society of luxuries. Can I pay an extra $2 to get my whatever delivered to my front door? Heck yeah, I'm going to do that. Can I pay $15 so I don't have to put my trash in the dumpster and you come grab it from my front door? Heck yeah, I'm going to do that, right? So everybody's thinking about this thing a little bit wrong. And I'm glad that Yusuf highlighted this. That there's still a lot of, I use the term value add, you know, sort of subjectively, but a lot of value add to still be had around the amenity space that just people aren't taking advantage of yet. So it's, it's definitely going to be interesting over the next few years. My guys like Yusuf's going to be standing on top being like, I told y'all. <laughs> I'm, I'm the long haul versus the, you know, I, I don't necessarily need to be the greatest claim to fame, all that. I just, I'll be there. I'm a small fry, but I'm going to keep on shooting. Love it, man. Love it. Well, we're right there in that bucket with you, buddy. So, well, Yusuf, man, this has been a great conversation man, and uh, really enjoyed all the different points that you brought up. You made, a, you dropped a lot of great nuggets here. And, um, you know, I, I know I took away a lot of good quotes too. So, but, uh, you know, before we head off, we've got a few more questions for you and then we'll wrap up. Okay. Okay. All right, man. So one thing that we do like to ask all of our guests is what do you like to do for your continued education to further your own investing? I like to listen to macro, a lot of the, the, the macro uh, points and the, the leaders and see kind of how they're digesting the economy. I um, also like to visit different markets and like to, I like to talk to residences. I'm more of a boots on the ground type guy. I'm an economics guy. So that stuff is easy for me and I can, I hear it and I take it it's, it's, it's not the crystal ball for me, but I just, that type of information I'm very familiar with. So it's kind of, you know, the backdrop of what's going on, but I'm a boots on the ground guy. You know, I like to have conversations. I like to go around and see what's going on. I'll apply for not physically, but I'll go and say, Hey, you know, are you guys taking applications for leases? <laughs> you know, what, what's the rent here? What, 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 what's the amenities? Talk to me. Yeah. Love it, man. Love it. So my, my, my education is a, is a balance between the two. Perfect. Perfect. It's great. Looking back on your journey, was there one moment of time or one event that changed the trajectory of your business? I mean, there's been many. There's been so many. I mean, I've been doing this for a while. And sometimes when I'm in a conversation, something will come up and I'll remember. And then, you know, I'll kind of highlight that. But, you know, as we speak here, I mean, there's been some dark days. You know, there's been some days where, you know, I've, you know, you got seven figures on the table and it's about to not be on the table anymore. <laughs> so, and then you have some days where, you know, your expectations were very much overshot, you know, and then you made out great. It's definitely not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. It's a, uh, takes some tenacity to stay in it, especially for that long. So, well, what advice would you give to the listeners to help them grow their businesses? Again, I don't know how our listeners are positioned. You know, I don't know what type of group market that they're dealing with multifamily, small multifamily, commercial, mobile. I don't know what people, because sometimes people ask me, you're in real estate, huh? I'm, I'm like, I don't know. What does that mean? Am I a Christian? Am I a Buddhist? Like what? That's too general. I don't know what that means. Um, and what I would tell an entrepreneur, because that's what I am, what I would tell a business owner, because that's what I am is, you know, continue to have eyes open, continue to be curious, continue to have a very um, pliable ego. You know, it's okay to have a little ego because it sometimes keeps you focused and ambitious and ambitious, but you want to humble yourself because things are changing. You just gave an explanation of what you want. Okay. But what you want is not what the guy or the gal with the ego and the capital traditionally wants. But if there's can be a bridge between those wants, 
then the economy, this multifamily market, this residential market can have a much more opportunistic space. It's great advice, man. Great, great advice. Well, Yusuf, tell the listeners how they can learn more about you and get connected with you. I, people can email me. My, my email address is Yusuf at reap.capital. Put it in the show notes. Talk deals. I love to talk deals, usually mid to larger size deals. And uh, if someone's doing a deal and they just need some advice, sometimes I like to drill into it if it's a level of sophistication that I'm, I'm comfortable with. But we, we can talk deals. That, that's my language. Love it, man. Well, thank you again so much for tuning in with us today. You appreciate the great conversation. Definitely look forward to staying connected with you and continue to see your growth and what's next for you. So yeah, I appreciate your time, Yusuf. Very valuable information. You had a lot of value to our, not only us, but our listeners. We definitely appreciate uh, having you on. Well, thanks for having me guys. And uh, yeah, uh, let's stay connected and we'll go from there. Thanks, Yusuf. Today's episode was proudly brought to you by Blue Oak Capital. To learn more about Blue Oak Capital and how you can partner with us, visit www.blueoakinvests.com. Tune in next time.